Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing highly sensitive people and our relationship with television. When I'm speaking about what we have in common as highly sensitive people, I'm speaking in very general and broad terms. That being said, I have a theory about highly sensitive people. Simply, we are born into family systems that seem to lack empathy, maturity, and emotional intelligence and truth-seeking. Now, I believe that as highly sensitive people, we're also born with this natural ability to be little observers and that the trauma, the dysfunction or the neglect that many of us go through as children, it takes that natural observer's quality, that natural high sensitivity that our nervous systems are born with and takes us from aware to hyper aware sensorarily. And because we are aware of what is lacking in our family systems, we also step into the space of overcompensating from a very young age, hence the development of our people-pleasing strategies and our codependency. We basically wind up having all the feelings for all the other players in our family system that seem unwilling or disinterested in having their feelings. That's why in so many dysfunctional families, we sweep things under the rug. As highly sensitive little ones and as adults, we tend to yearn to figure out these dynamics inside of ourselves, not just to know things, we're not just collecting knowledge, but to really sort ourselves out, to figure out who we really are, who we want to be. What's malleable in us? What isn't? If I try to give an example of what it feels like to be a highly sensitive person that comes from a dysfunctional or neglectful childhood, I can say that in my experience before I knew what high sensitivity was and while I was still in the most depressing seasons of my life, my life felt 
like a decently comfortable and decorated living room. But if I let anyone in, I could act like it was a normal living room. I could act like everything was fine inside and out and all was a-okay. But the truth was that just before the guests arrived, I would essentially shove a hoarder's worth of crap behind a door of a closet and just barely be able to get the latch on that closet door to hold shut, to hold the messy contents inside. Because I didn't want anybody visiting me to see any of that messiness. And all during those visits, while looking like I'm socializing, while I'm A-OK, I'm actually hyper aware of that door. Anxiety and tension tight in my body, building. Terrified that that door will just burst on open. And all the truth of how messy I felt how down on myself I was because of that mess spilling everywhere from years and years and years of shoving all of my emotional response, my needs, my desires, trying to play a healthy person because I didn't know how to be one. I shoved all that down into the deep, dark closet of myself, which makes a royal mess That season of my life had me judging myself before a guest would sort of even walk in to the living room of my life, before I would even let people have the chance to come inside. So if being an HSP pre-recovery, pre-awakening feels like trying to keep that messy closet door closed to never let another human see the mess, intentional healing is sort of like the decision that it's time to take everything out of that mess of a closet. And not only that, it's the willingness to say, all right, there's got to be three piles here. A trash pile, a donate pile, and a keep pile. And we sort that out all while we're reorganizing the closet of our life. And until doing that work, I felt a certain amount of tension and anxiety and fear with all other humans, even if I was alone. Because even alone, I didn't want that messy closet opening up and spilling all over me. I didn't want to drown in it. So if my theory is true, we grow up sort of starving for the emotional connection that can really feed our spirit, feed our soul. We yearn for emotional expression because we feel so much But when we don't have healthy expression modeled for us, we don't know what to do with our depth, with our feeling, with our expansive feeling. We yearn for unconditional positive regard. And at first we yearn for it from others, not even knowing that we ourselves can become the source of unconditional positive regard for ourselves, to ourselves, and with ourselves. We yearn to have our inner experience validated and not invalidated. So this is why, as highly sensitive people, we tend to secretly wonder, are we crazy? I feel crazy. Are they crazy? Are we swapping crazy? And we learn on a subconscious level, sometimes on a conscious level, but definitely on a subconscious level, we learn, ooh, I'm going to have to get these emotional needs met elsewhere or just go with them being unmet. 
So today's episode might be surprising that I want to talk about highly sensitive people in TV. Because most of us have our judgments about TV, right? It's vapid. It's not real. It smushes our brains. We have all these judgments about it. So today's episode, me talking on this topic, in my heart, this is really a dedication to every client over the years who has sort of confessed to me with the energy of like Catholic priest inside the dark confessional two-way box, admitting how much they love and watch TV, like they're confessing some great sin. So yes, TV, that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. No matter our age, this is the first point I want to make, no matter our age, something tend to touch us emotionally through TV. For me, I can share that Mr. Rogers made a big impact in my life and not necessarily in the obvious way that you might think. I used to watch Mr. Rogers in awe and I wouldn't have been able to put this into words at the time, but my words now looking back was I was watching Mr. Rogers basically wondering, what is this dude on? He has got to be on something because he never had a critical thing to say. I tried to explain this to a counselor as a teenager once, and I sounded like this. Uh, no one in my family is like Mr. Rogers. And then I kind of sat there in silence as this much older male Christian counselor who we, I really did not click with took that in and gave back to me basically... Uh, yeah, duh, kind of response, but in more like a square professional would give it that he said, yeah, we don't get to have exceptional family members. We're all flawed. In the way that certain counselor responses, I know because I've been on that side of the chair, not just on the counseling counselor side. That, that is annoying because I had absolutely no idea what to do with that kind of response. Of course, the man is right. We're not promised exceptional family members. We're all flawed as human beings, me too. So I didn't know how to explain what I meant to that therapist. I didn't know how to describe a mother who was critical in nearly every breath unless she was sleeping. Mr. Rogers wasn't critical and 90% of what I heard was. So I watched him like a hawk. Like I was ready to catch him being critical. Like he had to be. He couldn't be a real live adult human being and not be critical. I was even hypervigilant. I would lose what Mr. Rogers was talking about because I was just paying attention to this man has got to say something critical. I'm going to catch him because that's what's going to prove that he is a normal human being is me catching him in that. And as I aged, as I got out of that elementary school age, and I might catch Mr. Rogers on the TV, I started to become angry with him. Yes, angry. Who the hell gets angry at Mr. Rogers? Well, I did. The story I was telling myself back then in a pre-adolescent way was that Mr. Rogers had to be full of shit. The people like that didn't exist. I can look back and understand now that I was mad at him for dangling himself in front of me, this alien unhuman-like creature who was kind in every moment. It felt cruel to have him dangled in front of me, 
all I ever needed dangled right in front of me. Kindness, unconditional positive regard, insight, consideration, listening. My depression at the time decided that that was a cruel, mean joke. And the best I knew how to do was be angry at Mr. Rogers for what I was lacking, what I was yearning for, what I was hurting for. And what I know now is I trust in every fiber of my being that if I could have a conversation with Mr. Rogers about that, I know that he would tell big grown-up me and little girl me that he very much understands that and that it was okay for me to be angry with him. Mr. Rogers, Captain Kangaroo, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I'm showing my age, I grew up in the 90s. Ninja Turtles showed teamwork and brotherly love and bonds. They even had an adoptive, wise, encouraging rat dad. Those of us who grew up on Sesame Street and reading Rainbow, even the generational relationships they're shown in a show like Gilmore Girls. LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow had me eating so many Book It pizzas. Who else was out there that did Book It and read and read and read to get a free pizza? To a poor kid growing up, that was like going to the moon. Some of you grew up on Zorro or Lassie or maybe Mr. Ed or the Andy Griffith show. If we were sad and highly sensitive, if we were confused, if we were unheard, Largely unseen, our vulnerability, our tenderness, our pure, gentle innocence that we all have as small children. We likely grew up having our feelings and our hopes most validated through TV and movies. Those of you who have listened to my story, either in person when I've taught or have caught most of the episodes, you might have heard me talk about how my biological father abandoned me. And so I would wait for him to visit. He would promise to do a visitation as divorced parents agree upon and have custody agreements. And I would wait on the porch of my grandparents' house all day long, just waiting for him. And more often than not, he would flake and not show up. And I would be devastated into my bones. So I couldn't count on my dad but I could count on the consistency of a TV show showing up, which sounds kind of ridiculous, right? But I believe this is a truth, not just for me, for many, 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 many of us in this modern age. I, I literally could not count on my father to show up for me, to keep a promise. But I could count on TGIF every Friday through the 90s. And it doesn't have to be some big wound like a parent going MIA on you. TV in and of itself works like a drug. So any child, any human that's feeling sad or angry or picked on or dumb or embarrassed, when we don't have other healthy coping strategies modeled for us, when we're not taught what to do with those uncomfortable feelings, the best we have to do with ourselves is figure out that things like TV and food can replace those funky feelings at least while we're eating it, at least while we're viewing it. So TV offered us an avenue of escape at a time in our life when we couldn't 
call a lift or grab car keys and drive away. So for some of us, as weird as it sounds, TV can feel more like home than our actual homes did for those of us that grew up with significant childhood trauma or neglect. And yes, that is sad and that is devastating for the human condition. That is not what we want for human beings being raised on television, being raised by TV shows that are written by Hollywood types. We don't, we don't want that. That doesn't sit well with us and rightly so. It, it's not supposed to. It's not natural. I'll go so far as to say it's not right. And yet, it's what I had. Often I've wondered where I'd be without those TV examples. Like Alan Thicke from Growing Pains, who was happily doing therapy in his house, helping people while being a great dad. Sure, he and all the rest, fantasy people. But they helped me dream. They helped me stay alive. They helped me believe that there were other possibilities than what I saw in real life around me. I don't know where I'd be without the Golden Girls getting me through some of my darkest depressive moments. And I'm doing this episode today on this topic that if you don't have this relationship, if TV didn't act as an emotional surrogate for you, might seem totally ridiculous, like Nikki has done lost her mind. But I'm doing this episode because this is exactly the kind of thing that few of you will bring into a therapy session. And you may feel a twinge of guilt or struggle. You may struggle lifelong with a mild to severe obsession, or we can even look at it through the lens of addiction to TV or to cinema, even to reading books that can happen too. So I wanted to use an episode to name this. What I'm offering is an option to make peace and to understand some of our draws towards this type of entertainment, to understand some of our tendencies with compassion and wisdom, to empower the choices that we make moving forward. It is an option to make peace with your love of TV because it may be raised some of us, though imperfect and flawed, it offered us some windows into human emotion that we may have been unable to attain otherwise. Owning this can help us look at our relationship to television so that we work to ensure a healthy relationship dynamic with it, which is often the same thing that I say to somebody who's using alcohol a little bit too much. Like, hey, let's get this under control so that you can continue to have that as a tool so that it doesn't have to ever be taken completely off the table. So I want to get specific about some TV dynamics that I see within our HSP tribe. Some of them will either validate you or maybe surprise you. And there's going to be a distinct difference here. Some of you who are more highly sensitive will often totally avoid creepy things, dark things, sad things. Those who are high sensation seeking may seek more of these high sensation shows out. So true crime is something that I want to name today, aka murder porn. Now, you might be an HSP if you hate watching anything like that, like I was just naming. 
But my high sensation seekers, I know that a lot of y'all eat up true crime and this puzzles a lot of you. There's a secret shame about this, like, oh my gosh, because if the critical part steps in here, it goes, wow, you're liking something that is horrible. The worst moment of someone's life. What's wrong with you? Shame, shame, shame. So let me see if I can break this down through a lens of compassion and understanding for all parties. True crime is provocative. It's intimate. What is more vulnerable or real than the last moments of someone's life? When we are reminded about death, it tells us to value the life that we have. When we watch a true crime anything, every player in that victim's story, other than the perpetrator, other than the person who was murdered, displays their resilience, whether they recognize that that's what they're displaying to us or not. And we see them for a group of people who yearn to be seen and heard on a psychological level by that person participating in a true crime documentary about their loved one. They are getting a chance to be seen and to be heard. And that's them processing their pain as highly sensitive people, as empaths, In the person-to-person real-life realm, we're comfortable holding that space for people and know that we do it well and are willing to very often. So I believe that that translates when we're watching true crime. We are fascinated as human beings on the planet that a most horrible thing can happen. And yet the human spirit can and does go on. It continues. Life does not stop. And this is miraculous. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. It's a time machine of tranquility filled with immersive and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. So our critical parts may look at true crime and go, wow, you watch it for the darkness. But our compassionate parts are even, yes, I'll go here, even our spiritual parts may be there for the miracle that life continues. Now, the other side of this true crime coin can be very unhealthy. This can be considered emotional cutting. I don't know if you've heard that term before, but we're aware that there are cutters. And when people cut, it's not a suicide attempt, y'all. That's a very different thing. The simplest way that I can go into that briefly for the sake of this episode is that when someone hurts on the inside, cutting sort of makes sense of that. Because then it's, it's, there's an equality to now I hurt on the outside and something about that feels true and real and sort of anti-crazy. 
So in terms of emotional cutting, we can do this with cinema. We can do this with television. Sad movies. Movies and television that romanticize suicide or terminal illness. Or romanticize true crime, even. Romanticizing can have the propensity to dig a hole while we don't even know it. We watch out for this a lot in addiction recovery, right? Very fine line. And part of why I'm cautious about talking about my bartending days is because I do not want to romanticize any of it. And I tend to tell some of those stories through a funny, humorous lens. And I don't want anyone to accidentally get the impression that I am endorsing dangerous or destructive relationships with alcohol or any kind of drug or behavior. So if these darker, provocative things these very sad things, if these things make you sob, if they make you feel heavy, if they make you have bad dreams or suicidal ideation, no, 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 this is not for you. This is what I would call an emotional cutting, that you were in pain and you were doing things to validate that you were in pain, which keeps you in pain. And then the pain loops on the pain and it feels sort of less Yes, I'm using the word crazy because there's something about sameness calming us down. It's like, yeah, one plus one equals two. I'm sad. I watch something sad. I get sad. I cry. I'm sad. It makes a certain amount of emotional sense, even though it's not good for us. I I hope the way that I'm describing this makes sense. And you are always welcome to come jump on the Patreon and ask questions at any of the live streams about anything that I say. But if these things make you feel heavy, and if you feel like you can't stop watching, if it feels obsessive, then we can treat this more like an addiction and get some real space from it. Because this is not for you. This is not using true crime as a healthy tool that inspires to live each day to the fullest. Sometimes something very sad can help us access a cry and a release. But if we're real with ourselves, we will feel lighter cleansed, even if we maybe need to take a good nap or have a good night's sleep, there will be a release. And in recovery and healing and self-development, we learn to be really honest with ourselves so that we can decide, is what I'm doing helping me? Is it hurting me? Do I need to lean into this? Do I need to lean out of it? What's my strategy here? I also want to mention reality TV as a broader sort of scope of true crime. Now, most of us as highly sensitive people identify as introverted. About 70% of highly sensitive people are introverted versus extroverted. So most of us really are introverted. So the idea that a camera crew is going to be recording our every move while we're drinking, while we're socializing, while we're going to the bathroom even and taking showers and getting ready for events, getting dressed for the day. For most highly sensitive people in general, I would say that that sounds like a special kind of hell. So reality TV allows us to really watch other humans, maybe even almost like we might watch a Natural Geographic animal documentary or a special. Like we're observers on safari, like, wow, look at what these interesting creatures are doing. Especially when it comes to love and vulnerability Highly sensitive people love to watch the decision making. They love to watch what those professionals are suggesting and if they resonate with it or not. It may be a way for us to test out some of our intuitions. Ooh, I think this person is going to do this next. Was that intuition right? Was it wrong? 
So it may be a way for us to learn about the human experience at a distance where we're not risking anything. And that may be healthy in the way that I'm naming to a point. Because to have a good life, we have to risk in a way that is calculated and smart. I very much believe that in no risk, no reward. So where TV watching starts to become problematic is when you're trading your real life experiences for the safety, which becomes a hiding behind the television. Because TV can only go so far. It gives us the pseudo human experience and we need the real human experience. We need touch. We need connection. We need the challenge of relating to other people and of them relating to us. The last quirky point that I want to share is I want to talk about one particular show. And it's the show that I have had more clients talk to me about over the years than any other. It debuted in 2005 and it ran for nine seasons. Its last show aired in May 2013, eight years ago, and it still comes up fairly frequently in my individual sessions. It's The Office. HSPs and survivors love The Office. (laughs) Now, why do we love The Office? Well, it is a work family. We watch their family dynamics. Y'all hear me talk about being a systems theorist. The Office is about voyeuristically watching this system of diverse players, of exceptional difference, accept and work with each other and around each other. They give grace to each other in different ways throughout the years. And we can feel, as a viewer, we can feel their bond. We can feel their care, their connection, despite how they get on each other's nerves and do flat out wrong things, how they date and break up with each other, how they evolve together and differently, how they have each other's backs. They make room for each other's mistakes and quirks. And we watch them navigate different power struggles. We get to watch the complexity of relationships between all the players and how those relationships are explored expansively and differently over the years. Simply, we get to know them and we accept them. And isn't this what every one of our inner children have wanted within our own family systems? To be seen, to be heard, to be able to make mistakes and grow and evolve, to show our flaws, our quirks, our differences, sometimes our celebrated differences, sometimes our tolerated differences. The office shows us the very dynamic that we've wanted in our own families, and our own lives. Maybe even what we've wanted inside of ourselves. When I talk to you about the different parts, the perfectionistic part, the high integrity part, the little girl or the little boy part, the wise woman part, the wise man part, our silly part. Maybe we're doing the work internally to accept this complex psychological system that resides in each and every one of us. So there is a way of looking at TV as vapid, empty, nothing but a boob tube. Or there is the way that Mr. Rogers looked at it as a tool. Have I wasted hours of my life more than I'd ever want to tally and count watching mindless stupidity over the course of my life? 
Of course. Who hasn't in modern society other than the monks that are among us? And I believe, believe it or not, that there is even a time and a place for the mindlessly stupid. We can't be serious, always achieving beings. And we're balancing all these factors. I do believe that the expansive way that TV allowed me to escape was really a means of emotional survival and was fairly important in my development. My career and my empath qualities have led me to be able to feel a similar truth on so many clients as they themselves have tried to articulate to me how TV raised them, how it has held space for them, how it has inspired or provided a pseudo friendship during the loneliest of times. And the truth that sometimes we don't want to admit to as highly sensitive people, especially if we're working through a depressive episode or season is that at times we didn't really have the energy in mind or body or the time if we were in a season of hustle. That's how getting through my master's degree felt that we maybe didn't even have the time or the energy for a two-way reciprocal relationship that TV has held a space for us. So I wonder what this episode, this chat that I'm sharing with you does for you today, if anything. Does it help you make peace with some aspect of yourself that you hold judgment of and maybe just takes picking up a different lens? Is there something that could help you get through to the other side? And is that okay? Is it okay to accept the imperfect things and ways that we get to the other side? We are human beings and we're spiritual beings. Now, I'm of the belief that our human sides are drawn to human things and our spiritual side is largely disinterested in and doesn't need those human things. We heal on this journey in human ways and in spiritual ways, not in one or the other. For me, there is something strangely beautiful about how a highly sensitive person witnesses TV. I'm not even sure we watch it. I think we witness it what we might take from it, how we allow or try on ideas and expand. I do think there's a strange beauty to this. So I hope today's episode did something for you to help you in your healing journey, to help you see yourself with more grace, more compassion and awe. Yes, awe. I just started teaching the boundaries course again, and I'm just blown away by the resiliency by the creativity, by the strength, by the commitment to breaking the dysfunctional cycles, by refusing to settle for less than what you deserve, peace, happiness, and fulfillment. This audience is full of such beautiful strength. And I hope that I am doing a good enough job showing you that and delivering that because it is a source of power and support that we can tap into. We don't have to know each other personally to be able to tap in to that power and that support. And this is what happens when we risk in our real lives away from that TV set. I did the show to give it away for you out there listening. That was my original vision was a young woman. Of course, it's a projection of myself at a different time, but of a young woman, of a young person sitting in front of a computer trying to figure out why she was sad, why she was depressed. So I did the show to give away. And despite all the low vibe dysfunction and disconnection, angst and struggle, 
that's happening in the world right this moment. What this audience has done for me is revive my hope in humanity and in the future. And if that can happen because of this radio show and my intention to give and everything that we give comes back to us, then how powerful and impactful can a radio show or a TV show be? Well, maybe the answer is it can be as impactful as we let it be. And that is maybe a part of our modern day empowerment that we can give to ourselves and each other. I want to thank those of you who have gone through the steps to get on iTunes and write us a review. We don't totally know how, but part of what works at Funky iTunes algorithm that actually helps put the show in front of new listeners so that they can learn that they are unalone, that they are highly sensitive, that survivorship does not mean that you stay in pain the whole rest of your life, that healing is truly and deeply and honestly possible, is working this internet techie algorithm on iTunes. So thank you so much to those of you that have given us a five-star review and then gone above and beyond to write out a review. I want to thank Lardude. They say, my anxiety has been too high lately to the point that even listening to music stresses me out. So I have been looking for alternatives. I'm so glad I found this podcast. I really enjoy listening to Nikki. You're so welcome to listen to Nikki talk about her experiences. She makes me feel like I am not crazy or alone in all of this. She is very reassuring in this time of need. I can't say it enough. Whatever you're going through, if you are in intense struggle right this moment, take a deep breath. It is only a moment in time and it will pass. If you are listening to me, you are a seeker. And I am sure, yes, even without knowing you, that if you have seek, sought, whatever the right word is, all the way to get to here, that will continue to drive and hold your life. And you will get to a place where you can settle, where you can be at peace, where you are safe, and where you are secure in mind, in body, in physicality. It is inevitable. What happens if you allow yourself to believe in that inevitability over believing in the fear that it will always stick? Thank you so much for writing your review. I want to thank French Horn CC. This podcast empowers HSPs like me to face the challenges that come up with our emotions. I hope that this podcast continues to grow as I've been hooked since I first discovered it last month. Give this a listen for some valuable wisdom. You won't be disappointed. Thank you for what you do, Nikki. You are so welcome. Thank you so, so much. I'm glad that you're out there. I do believe that we change the world one person at a time by doing our own deep work. I want to thank Super Sam 2988. They say it's so compassionate, it's palpable. Nikki shares her love and compassion so well that you can feel it through the sound waves. I feel it coming from y'all. So I'm so glad that y'all can feel that coming from me. I genuinely mean it. I can't really be any other way. Every podcast comes with an amazing perspective and insight. Just like therapy is for everyone, I believe this podcast is too. Whether you find yourself as an empath or highly sensitive person or not, it gives amazing tools and understanding into our emotional world. 
Thank you very much, Super Sam. I want to thank Maggers NM. I think that means Maggers is from New Mexico. Compassionate Perspectives. Great podcast. All this is commenting on me reading from The Shining. I do have an episode where I read from The Shining. That was one of my favorites. Maggers says you could do great audiobooks. I really hope to one day. I'm working on my memoir now. She says, I was hooked and wished you had kept going. I remember reading The Shining and had to hide the book in the scariest parts and loved the dinner idea, including your grandmother, with all in with all the amazing people. Yes, I envision having a dinner and Stephen King is one of the people I would like to have at my dinner along with my grandmother. That's right. I forgot I talked about that. Thank you so much for sharing and giving me that moment of special reminder. Thank you so much. I want to thank Janet's musings. Janet says, it's not always easy to find people out there that see and experience the world as we do. Finding solidarity and empowerment with every episode. I too learn from darkness and help others by standing with them in their darkness. Sending you a huge high five and a big helper healer hug. Thank you for being out there doing the work yourself and helping lead others through the darkness. Thank you all so very much for all you do. Really, 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 we could not have done this show without all of you. You send the show out all over the world. Light and love. Remember, I'm an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets Mindful. I will see you right here next week. Light and love. Bye-bye. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to Calm History dot com.